0: Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student. And today, Martin and I are doing a five questions episode. These ones are always a lot of fun. So, Martin, you picked five questions. Are these all from the Reddit, or do we have any that are not? Most from the of them
1: Reddit? are from the Reddit, one of them was from an email cool from an
0: email oh actually see here in the notes we're gonna start with that one sweet so yeah i thought that it would be nice to do like a fun kind of a break episode after our ridiculously long series the path the college yeah, ended up being almost five hours of content over three episodes and yeah the last one we did may be the longest podcast i've ever done and re- at least that i've released as one episode So I think it's fair to say that we were pretty exhausted after doing those ones. Oh, yeah. But hopefully you guys enjoyed them. Um, I did particularly enjoy doing the last one, even though it was almost two hours long. And I played a lot of video games while editing that. We'll just just say that. (laughs) My editing has become play a little bit of Enter the Gungeon until I hear an um or something that needs to be cut and then pause, cut it, and then unpause and probably get hit and then be real mad. Yep. That's how it goes. Oh,
1: that's good because you get a reverse reward every time you fix up the podcast. You do. Yeah. You get killed in the game.
0: Yeah. And then like when there's if there's ever like a section where it's not edited so well, it's probably like I was fighting a boss or something. It's like
1: it's (laughs) like trying to subtly train you not to say, um, because you'll have to die in enter the gungeon later. That's not a bad idea. It's you got to make that connection in your mind that it's not like one, two. It's one middle stuff than the punishment. Exactly. But it's right there. Pressure's on, Tom. If you make vocal pauses, you're not going to be able to beat the final boss. Yep. Or if I do, which is just, that's just me messing you up. I mean, that's
0: not a bad idea. Or maybe it is a
1: bad idea. I don't know. I'll have to
0: ponder on that further. Maybe we can somehow like wrangle a study tip out of that. Maybe. (laughs) Put the pressure on uh, through some later reward that will be messed up. If you don't perform Maybe. well now,
1: we'll have to workshop that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We'll workshop it around. I'll send it to my people. You send it to your people. will have my people talk to your I'll people. I'll send it to this some Thomas people Frank. Talk that's to people. who I'm going to send it to. Yeah. I'll have my assistants, uh, assistants, liaison, send some smoke signals to your people. We'll get it workshopped. You know what I'm saying? Anywho... Today we got five questions, and if you haven't listened to a five questions episode before, basically, we take five-year questions, mostly from the College Info Geek community over at collegeinfogeek.com community, which is our subreddit, and then we answer them. It's a bit more of a uh, casual format, and this is a good area for you to get more in-depth answers on questions that don't end up becoming full videos or full podcast episodes, though I do reserve the right to later on make those into full things. And I think it probably should for some of them. But yeah, these are fun episodes. And if you want to have your questions featured on the show, the best way to get them on the show is to ask them in the Reddit where other people also answer them. So it all works out perfectly in the Reddit. But like I said, we do have one from email as well. And I'm actually going to start with that one. And this person, we actually stripped out names because... I don't want to be reading Reddit usernames. That's (laughs) a recipe for some mispronunciations. And I'm sure that many Reddit usernames don't even need to be pronounced. Like they're probably just mashing the keyboard to come up with the username. So uh, we're not gonna use names. But the first question is, what can I do to be productive during a break? And this person is curious about both gap years, the potential for taking a gap year and how you can make a gap year productive and summer break itself. And I want to start with summer break because I think that's the thing people are most likely going to yeah be that one's like about.
1: that was like a universal yeah most people you are have take gap breaks.
0: years I certainly have never taken a gap year though the idea of doing one is cool but all of us have summer vacations and winter vacations Thanksgiving breaks all that kind of stuff so yeah what do you think man how do you how do you stay productive during a big break well let's see me personally or just in general. Because I know I've done a few things oh, very specifically. Yeah, so what are some things you've personally done? Because, so, uh, I mean, it's a lot of okay, free so, time, so I don't think we can like say there's one thing you should do.
1: Yeah. Well, my favorite thing to do during, say, summer break, because it's longer, is uh, take on some sort of project or uh, skill building kind of thing. So I built my personal website over the summer. Your I, first one? Yeah. Yeah. And that, like, I, crazy bootstrap monstrosity? Yeah, that was a monstrosity. I don't even <laughs> want to think about it anymore. But I spent the whole summer making that, and I did the same thing uh, when I launched my language blog that I did in college, and I recorded two EPs one summer. So basically each summer, I pick some sort of cool project with the end goal being it's done at the end of the summer. I've launched it in some way.
0: Okay, so you actually say the end of the summer is a
1: launch launch deadline. Just for like a personal project that maybe I don't have time for. Okay. During the school year, something that I want to dedicate hours a day to. Yeah. Well, when I think
0: about it, College Info Geek was technically a summer project, though I didn't go about it in the same way that you go about yours because I never said this is going to have a deadline. This needs to be done by summer's end. And in fact, I am kind of bad at doing projects that have end dates. Um, I am just horrible with this tendency to take on something and then expect myself to do it forever. You know, let's start doing questions episodes on the YouTube channel and we'll do those forever. And I'll be the co-host of a second podcast and do that forever. And videos will be forever. Like everything is forever. So that's that's probably something that I could get better at. But yeah, College Info Geek was started during a summer. And uh, it wasn't the only thing I was doing during the summer that that summer was actually the summer that I was a orientation assistant at my university. So I was living on campus Most of my day was working with all the new students coming in. I was giving tours. I was answering questions. I was leading panels and leading sessions to get people signed up for their classes. And I was just kind of like really steeped in the college mindset. And because I had gotten rejected from writing for the other blog, I was like, why not start my own blog? And uh, that was kind of what I did. I hung out, worked out, hung out with my coworkers, uh, worked, and then at night I would write blog posts. Uh, just sitting in that dorm room, and just kind of built that, that blog as a summer project. Now, I would say that every single summer actually ended up being kind of a College Info Geek building summer. The summer that I was interning at the big financial company, I would come home every night and work on College Info Geek. And then the next summer, that summer was entirely dedicated to College Info Geek. That was the summer we were living in the the on-campus apartments together. Oh yeah. And that was the summer you did your EP. And for me, it was just working on articles basically all day. I think I had some part-time hours at the campus tech support center again, but that was it. Other than that, you know, actually, you know what? (laughs) I actually didn't work there that summer. That was a previous summer. Yeah. It was just that all the time. Just full-time. Yeah. Full-time. It was cool.
1: Um, yeah, well, summer is a great time to do stuff like that because you you really don't have time to do a full-time personal project when you have classes going on. Yeah. You don't have mean, that same amount of time sure. available.
0: I was definitely working on it during the semesters, but the summer is really when I went hard. And I remember if you, if you look on the archives, July and August 2011 is when I really started getting crazy about it. And there were like 30 articles a month versus... I think there were 30. Yeah, 30. That is insane. There were days where I wrote two articles. Now, they were not as long or as in-depth or as well-written as the things I make now. Uh, I think right around the time I started reading Nerd Fitness kind of in-depth and following it and being a fan of it, that's when I started to make the shift from writing like a 600-word article that I could do in an afternoon to a 2,000-word article or a 3,000-word article that took multiple days to research and write and make pictures for and everything. And I think even though I'm making less content, it's better. So I'm never going to try to write 30 articles in a month ever again. Yeah, <laughs> it would but, not be useful. But it was a
1: good exercise though, I bet. Yeah, it certainly built your, out my content. Uh, writing skills. Mm-hmm. And it was discipline. just a good
0: way of trying lots of different things. I mean, you can go back there and there are posts that do not belong on the site. Like, you can tell this is so off topic. There's one article that sticks out in my memory right now. It's like, this is a survey about how many students watch TV versus Netflix, you know? And like, of course, some higher education news site might publish a study about that because they want to talk about media and the new generation. But it's not at all within College Info Geek's kind of bounds. But back then, there were no bounds. It was, I write about things that have to do with education somehow, some way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, a lot looser. Yeah, and I mean, I was just trying things back then. And I think that's a really good way to make a break productive, is just try something that you think is productive or that you think will help you get somehow
1: closer to a goal and just play, right? Oh, actually, that somehow closer to a goal reminds me of another thing that I did over one summer. And this was in preparation for my French class, but I think you could extrapolate it to other things. I spent the summer basically teaching myself to pronounce the French R by just repeating like the same several words to myself over the summer so that when class came and everybody else was messing around trying to pronounce the letters, I could just do it and therefore focus on the grammar and vocabulary. But basically, Hmm. like if you extrapolate that, I'm just developing a very baseline skill, the kind of skill that affects all of something else later. How deliberate was that? It was very deliberate. So you were sitting down for like twenty minutes a day or something and practicing. Not really, not really, like at the same time. Okay, but just like walking around, kind of like how occasionally I try to pronounce "osa" now because I'm interested in pronouncing that one word because it has a cool click. Osa, Osa. It's I don't, I don't know if, know if, do if do I'm it. doing it right, but <laughs> it's the language that uh, Black Panther is speaking. Oh yeah, in, uh, the Captain America movie. What's which that is, language called? It's called Kosa. Oh, okay, that's, yeah, the, that's name the, the name language. of the language. It just happens to have the. But I couldn't pronounce it, so I'm just messing around trying to learn how to pronounce it because. But back then, I was learning to pronounce French on purpose so that I would basically have an accent by the time class started, and it gave me a huge head start.
0: Yeah, I think you remember me telling, or I remember you telling me that your teacher was really impressed with your accent for it being as low level of a French
1: class as it was. Well, see, with that also, I had a huge boost of confidence because, I mean, you're going to end up feeling dumb if you pronounce things weird because i think every american learning a foreign language is afraid of sounding like an american learning a foreign language <laughs> so like you won't yep. speak up and if you won't speak up those classes won't help you much May, so just, just maylamo yeah May Lamo. May me llama me i'm a llama <laughs> but that's just that's like, the
0: thing about foreign languages is you just have to be okay with sounding like an american practicing yeah. a foreign language or so whatever i did that ahead of time yeah okay that's actually another tip to add is if you have a class coming up that you can do some practical things to prepare for, it might be useful. I would say don't, maybe don't worry too much about preparing for every class. I do remember when I was in high school, some some summers I'd be like, man, I'm going to buy the textbook for the class that's coming up and read it in my free time and come to realize I might as well have just done it along with the class and then used my more free yeah. summers for other pursuits. So maybe
1: don't do go too crazy on it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure which kind of classes I would do that with other than language, because I was able to just kind of say a few words throughout the day as I did other things.
0: Yeah, and there's a little bit of a philosophical debate to be had here. When you played Pokemon as a kid, how much did you grind before fighting Brock for the first time? You know, like on repeated playthroughs, because the first playthrough doesn't count. You don't even you don't even know how hard he's going to be. But
1: honestly, I don't remember. I've played that game so many times with so many different M.O.s. Mm-hmm. I've put more than six months of my time overall into Pokemon games. My strategy <laughs> changes every time just to mix it up and make it interesting for myself.
0: OK, well, I remember and maybe you've done this a few times. I would almost always pick Charmander just because I like fire. Oh, well, uh, but then Charmander you're a is yeah. he's the hard mode character for the first two gyms at least, because he's weak to rock and or he's not weak to rock, but he's not very effective against rock, and then he's weak to water. So my strategy every time was I'm gonna just grind against Pidgeys and Rattatas you're not gonna over, like and over, and over and over and over and over again. Catch something else and use that instead. Well, I would usually catch a caterpie, get it to Butterfree, but In my brain, I was like, I'm gonna grind so much on these easy things until facing Brock is literally no challenge whatsoever for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like just stay in the baby area until the boss presents no difficult, no struggle. Oh, yeah. For me. And that has been kind of a pervasive mindset for other things. I'm gonna stay here in the shallows and practice and practice and practice until moving up to the next level is not difficult at
1: all whereas if you put that same grinding time in maybe at a later level it's going to get you a lot more results
0: yeah well so that is true but but my point here is i found when i just take the leap and when i try the difficult thing even when i don't really feel completely ready it forces me to struggle and that actually accelerates my development and it you know it works that way in pokemon too like your your pokemon's going to take a lot of hits it might faint but it's going to get more experience points when it does knock out that higher level enemy versus just knocking out level three pidgeys for six hours while you're hiding under your your cover so your parents don't find out you're playing at midnight. Yeah. But that's how it works in real life too. You know, if I continually just try to practice the same easy thing over and over again, I'm wasting my time because the human brain is built to rewire itself and to get better when presented with challenges. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't practice the same thing over and over and over again, like Bruce Lee said. I fear the man who has practiced one kick ten thousand times, but when you're constantly challenging yourself and constantly trying on to take, trying to take on the next level thing, the thing you don't quite feel ready to do, you progress so much faster. So, I don't know how that pertains too much to breaks, but if you have something you're doing and you have a lot of free time, I would say. Don't fall victim to that same temptation that I find myself sometimes falling victim to where I say, I'm just gonna, I have all this time, I'm gonna use it to get perfect at the low level stuff. Instead, ask yourself, how can I systematically move myself up and constantly challenge myself?
1: Yeah. So don't just blindly grind through the mm-hmm. summer. Yeah. Because and maybe you may a, have used that for something a, a good little way better.
0: To, yeah, and a good way to connect it to this particular question is when you're in school, the curriculum is built for you to be forced to progress at some yeah. certain rate because uh, yeah, the test is coming next for a week. reason yeah and when when you're doing some self-guided study there isn't a curriculum set by somebody else there isn't some old sensei who's going to force you to do something uncomfortable it's just you so you have to force yourself to constantly be moving forward and the other thing i wanted to say for breaks is jobs that's that's the other thing i always used to keep myself productive during breaks almost every summer Except for that summer that I lived with you guys in the on campus apartments, I had a job. Uh, first, I had my on campus job as the student orientation assistant, and then I was an intern at the big financial company. And every summer in high school, I either worked at the grocery store or I worked in the cornfields. And that made me money. You know, that's a pretty yeah, productive can, thing because I can save, save up for mm-hmm. fall
1: and spring when you won't be able to work as many hours.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that was really helpful. In fact, the money I made during my internship um, during that summer uh, after my sophomore year, that in part helped to pay off my student debt because I was living at home during that summer. There was no way I was going to spend all that money. And I was able to save a really good chunk of it. And that actually contributed to paying off those loans. So if you've got loans, the summer is a perfect time to start chipping away at them. So, unless you have something else for the
1: next or for this question, Uh, no, not that. That basically covers how I spent all of my breaks. So cool. So let's move on to the next question, which I really
0: like. And this question is, should I dorm with a friend or a stranger? Now you dorm, quote unquote, you dormed with friends. Yes. uh, Here in Iowa State. I apartmented with friends. You never went to a dorm. No. But that means you never
1: had to share a room with somebody. Well, I did live with a friend in his room while going to community college. Okay. So how did that how did that go? Great. <laughs> it was great. Actually great? Yeah. Okay. It was actually great. But there's there's a caveat. He is a very specific friend with whom I can do that. Mm. I couldn't do that with all of my friends. So there's a little bit of a risk, I think. Yeah. Because well, I have certain friends where if I spend too much time around them, we'll start to like have little habits that bug each other. Yeah. And you'd want to watch out for that, I suppose. But since you actually had to go to a dorm and I assume you lived with people you didn't know at first.
0: I actually lived with one of my best friends from high school first.
1: Oh. And that didn't work out. Oh, well, there's a perfect example. (laughs) So I can tell
0: some stories, but the big principle up front, the reason why people often say, don't room with your friends from high school, don't share a dorm with your best friend is because when you're rooming with somebody you might not know super well, there are just... Conventions people follow when they're in like polite society, right? When they're in public. People don't they don't just do whatever comes to mind. When you're with your best friend, you're comfortable enough to just say the dumbest jokes, to lay on the floor like an idiot, to make like fart jokes or just to fart are in their presence. We have friends that do that all the time. I have a friend who'll come over and just sit on the couch and fart loudly. It happens. And I can guarantee you that guy does not go up to a random stranger and fart.
1: Well, well, okay, maybe ninety percent certainty.
0: I'm ninety percent certain he doesn't do. Yeah, you know what? Like, (laughs) okay, I wouldn't put it past him, but I'm fairly certain that on a normal day he wouldn't do that to a stranger, and he would do that to a friend. And that's the thing: when you have a best friend, you guys have a friendship. that may be predicated on the fact that you don't always see each other and you're not always having to deal with all the little idiosyncrasies and habits and things they do when they're alone in their home. When you room with somebody who is a stranger, number one, there's less of a risk that they're going to do all those things. Not a complete certainty they won't do it. There's plenty of horror stories of people rooming with randos who are complete slobs. You know, I'm not gonna say that doesn't happen, but there is just a slightly higher chance that they may respect the fact that they don't know you super intimately.
1: And the other the other thing is, if it does go sour, you're not ruining a friendship. Yeah, you can be mad at your roommate and it won't damage anything because mm-hmm. you didn't know them in that situation. I mean, it'll damage your current situation, but you can room with somebody else next semester. Yeah, no exactly. No harm done.
0: No harm done. You know, you were annoyed for a little bit, but the person really wasn't your best friend in the first place. So all you lost was you know, a few nights of sleep or your sanity because they left peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on the floor. Yeah. But,
1: well, you get great stories.
0: You do get great stories. So I roomed with one of my best friends from high school and I'm not sure why exactly we were best friends because we were very <laughs> opposite in many Ouch. different ways. Like, I guess he was he was a cool guy. Uh We played lots of Guitar Hero together. But in terms of like cleanliness
1: and just like, sleep habits,
0: and many different things, we were really opposite.
1: Oh, yeah, and see, those wouldn't have affected you normally, like in high school.
0: Yeah, in high school, it didn't matter. Um, Now, actually, during the summer before college started, his mom moved to a different state, so he ended up living at my parents' house with me for that summer. So I got a little taste of it, but didn't care enough, and we roomed together. Um, We moved to college together, had our stuff packed in the same U-Haul, and... Over the coming weeks, it started to get on my nerves. You know, I just—I don't know what it was. It could have been small, little things like I don't know if I was being petty, like leaving a ice cream upside down on the floor for three days, or leaving a taco pizza on the shelf for two weeks, not I in the refrigerator.
1: Uh, maybe I'm being—is that, that an exaggeration? Know, is that no? No, he actually did those things. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I would have been a little, little peeved. Yeah. No, yeah, if you
0: couldn't tell, I was joking, and I I was a little peeved. Um, Wow. So what I did is I used the online tool that let me switch rooms. The Iowa State has some online tool where you can go, and if there's a room free, you can take it. And you can do this pretty much as many times as you want during the semester, which was cool. I doubt that they let you do that now because they're so overstuffed. Oh, yeah, there probably just aren't any
1: blank spaces. Yeah, they're,
0: they're stuffing people in rafters and attics and stuff at this point, but... When I was there, there were at least a few spots open at any given time. And one day, didn't even say anything. I just moved. And my stuff was gone when he came home. Wow. And I was in the same hall. So like I told him, I was like, yeah, I moved out because you're really, really messy. And we've talked about this. But I just had to move, you know. And I did that again with my second roommate. Now, my second roommate was uh, someone that I wasn't really super good friends with before the school year started. But I had become good friends with almost everyone in the hall Moved in with him. He was a really cool guy, but he let his girlfriend move into the room after a while. And I didn't care. Those rooms aren't built for that many people. I didn't even care that much for a while, but then she stopped going to classes and then she would let her laundry pile up all over the room and she was basically a slob. And I didn't really like her. So (laughs) I moved out (laughs) of that
1: room too. Now it's getting personal.
0: Yeah, well, and then she ended up cheating on him. Oh, well, there you go. She's just kind of a bad person. And yeah, I was going to get myself out of that situation. And that's why I ended up rooming with my friend Clyde. And that's why I know you. Yeah. So two different room moves. Uh, I wouldn't say that you should just hair trigger move when things start going wrong. And uh, it may seem like I did that because I'm telling the story in that order. But I actually did have discussions with both roommates about the problems before I took drastic action. And that's what you should do in any case. If you're having roommate issues, uh, usually I think dorms have you sign like a roommate agreement. I know when I was an RA, that was a thing I, that I had to do. I had to get roommate agreements from all of my residents. So if someone's not keeping with the roommate agreement, you can talk to the RA. We'll bring it out, have a talk about it. But sometimes people are not reasonable. You know, you think people who go to college are adults, but sometimes, no, they're not. And you got to move. So yeah, that's, that's my spiel on roommates. And if you choose to room with a friend, just be aware you have a lot of the same risks with friends and strangers, because with both, you don't really know what you're going to get when you live with them. It's really a different experience to live with someone than to just hang out with them. But with the friend, you run the risk of potentially souring a friendship. Yeah. Uh, Now I think you can kind of mitigate this with good communication I'm not going to be one of those people who across the board says never room with a friend because as long as you guys are willing to communicate openly and to nip issues in the bud when they come up rather than letting them just be in the open and keep pissing everyone off, I think you're going to be able to stop anything before it becomes like a friendship ending
1: event. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously sometimes it can work since Mm -hmm. we and Clyde all had an apartment together for like 3,000 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you guys, I think you guys dealt with most of the issues that came up. I don't even know how many bad issues came up, but I know Clyde stole the honey buns out of your closet that one time. Yep. There was that. (laughs) There was that incident.
1: But I think there are just certain, certain like people that will mesh together well in a living environment. Enough of our Mm. living habits coincide to where we're not too mad. We're not leaving ice cream and pizza just on the floor. Yeah. That's disgusting. Because yeah, that's, that's how you get ants. <laughs> I do not like ants. Ants are horrible. You turn into like the Hulk when you see. Oh yeah, ant. see, I love ants outside, but when they're in the house, I go into like code red, crisis alert, pretty much, and I can't do anything until I've figured out how to solve the ants because they go in your so, computer. So uh, don't put ice cream on my floor. Yeah, don't I think do
0: your computer is a house. Yeah, it's not a good idea. And I mean, now the five of us live together. We're all best friends. And I think we've been doing this long enough that we were pretty confident it was going to work out. And for the most part, it's working out. There well, there are issues, but for the most
1: part, it works out pretty well. Yeah. Well, for the most part, we were predictable at this point. We knew our yeah. actual living habits, and that's that's the wild card.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there there have been problems, and instead of getting super mad and moving out, well, we can't move out because our lease would make us pay a ton of money to move out early. So we just have to talk the issues out and figure out solutions. I know one of the biggest points of contention has always been uh, the kitchen gets really dirty. And one of our roommates really, really wants it to be clean all the time. Like the moment that something is used, he's kind of crazy about it. And then I know the rest of us fluctuate between states of being fed up with it being dirty and then being apathetic. So actually, just a couple of weeks ago, I said, I'm done with the fairness aspect of it. I'm just going to give myself the short end of the stick, and I put on my Habitica, clean the kitchen up, and basically reset it back to exactly how it should look, totally clean every night. And I think for the most part, you guys have started just kind of naturally helping me do that. I haven't even asked like Anna or Ashley or you to specifically help keep the kitchen clean, but I think because I'm doing it every night, everyone sort of feels like they need to pitch in too.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like you're sending uh, a signal. A uh-huh. little bit of a signal that says, Hey, if you, if nobody else ever does this, you're going to feel guilty. Yeah. Do you want to feel guilty? And I think it's a little more effective than just yelling at your roommates and being like, guys, you gotta
0: stop leaving crap in the sink. Like that just makes people get defensive. Yeah. That's just a much more effective method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you're always going to have roommates who don't care and who literally will not clean up. And that's the point at which you just give up and move. You know, I'm, my kind of policy with living with people and with associating with people is give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, try to work with them, try to be very open and communicative. But w- there's a certain point you're going to get to where you just realize, like, in this aspect of our relationship, this person is toxic. And I'm not going to deal with it anymore. And those are the points I got to with those previous roommates or, or the situations. And that's why I moved down. So Ooh. we'll put a nail on that question. Yeah, I think that about covers it. Just be cautious. Yeah. So the third question is, how do I stop from trying to multitask ineffectively? Or on the flip side, how do I focus on one thing at a time? So this person says they have like Reddit up, they've got a random productivity article up, they've got Evernote, they're trying to do homework, but they also have like a TV show on and they want to play a game in the same hour. And instead of just picking one thing and doing it, They wanna get it all done, so they're switching back and forth all the time fruitlessly. And they know it's not getting the results they want, but they're having trouble actually sitting down and doing one single task. Now I think we've probably said in this podcast before that multitasking scientifically has been proven to not be effective and hurts your productivity in a multitude of different ways. But I was just reading a book by my friend Chris Bailey, who's been on the show before, called The Productivity Project. And he has an entire chapter on multitasking. And I really like the way that he started it out because he starts it out by saying basically what I just said, multitasking is bad. It's been categorically proven to be bad. And many people have told you that. But what they don't usually tell you is that multitasking feels good. And I think you probably agree. Like you feel productive when you're doing 10 things at a time. Oh, yeah. It's like juggling a bunch of stuff. Like you feel skilled. You feel like you're really busy and you're you're moving. You can get I'm getting stuff done. so much done today,
1: but yeah, and then nothing really himself,
0: happened. What did I actually accomplish? Not a whole lot. But that's the thing. Um, when you multitask, he points out in the book, uh, there's a quote from this author, Daniel Levidin, And Mr. Levidin said, Multitasking creates a dopamine addiction feedback loop, effectively rewarding the brain for losing focus, for constantly searching For external stimulation. And that's the thing, multitasking is something your brain gets addicted to doing, because it feels good, because you feel super productive. It's like caffeine, right? You take it, you know you shouldn't be having too much of it, but it makes you feel good, and it makes you get stuff done, so your brain starts to build a more and more ingrained habit for doing it. So I found that single tasking is something you have to practice doing because your brain's ability to hold your attention on one thing is kind of like a muscle. It has to get stronger. And the best way I think of doing that, the simplest way to start is to do a Pomodoro session where you close everything, you only have one thing up, set a timer for 25 minutes and work on it. And a couple of things you can do to augment this is, number one, put a notebook next to your computer And if you ever get a distraction, if something comes up, maybe someone calls you or you have the sudden urge to look up how much a giraffe weighs, you write (laughs) that down. And later on, you can look up how much giraffe weighs, but also you can remind yourself, okay, this is the thing that distracted me. And you can start to notice patterns. Your brain's always going to wander and wonder how much random animals weigh, but maybe there's something else that you can remove from your environment to ease the burden, the cognitive load of uh, inhibiting all these distractions. Is your phone keep going off? Well, then disable notifications or put it in do not disturb mode when you're working. Or does your girlfriend keep coming in the room and bugging you? Well, politely ask her, hey, can I work alone for the next half an hour without being bothered? You know, there's a lot of things you can do to start shaping your environment to make a positive feedback loop here. So that's kind of how I've been trying to do it. What else do you have?
1: Well, on that last note, Actually, one of the biggest things that will distract me if I'm trying to work in my room, and this applied in university apartments as well, is that if I'm in my room, I'm trying to work on something, I'm focusing, but I can hear other people having fun, having conversation. All my friends are out there, and I'm like, ooh, I have a really clever comment that they would laugh at if I said it right now. I'm going probably to come out of my room and end up being social. So Mm. being able to hear people talk is a terrible distraction so, I've got these noise-canceling headphones now. Okay. Where I can basically not tell what you're saying if I have music on. Mm-hmm. And that is just absolutely helpful for keeping me not socially distracted. Because okay. that's that's pretty hard to avoid if you do live in a university apartment. In our case, there was constantly so there were like 20 people there all the time. I never had a chance to focus. Yeah. Because I could always hear their voices. You'd, you I have to shut them out. I remember
0: one time it was horrible. Everyone else was watching Game of Thrones, and this was back when I wasn't watching the show, had no interest in watching it. So the living room was taken up by a super loud TV show, and then Anna was really into The Walking Dead, and she was watching it oh, in my yeah. room. Yep. So there was literally nowhere in the apartment that I could go yeah, to there's get no, like, any quiet, focus zone. or yeah, ability to focus. So I had to go to the apartment's office building, and they had like this little desk area set up. And that's where I wrote a lot of my book, actually, because I was writing 10 Steps to Earning Awesome Grades while Anna was on her walking dead binge. You just
1: have to like leave. You have to get out of there.
0: Yep. Yeah. And the the noise canceling headphones is another good way to do it. I've noticed when I need to read at home because I'm doing that 25 pages per day reading project. Yes. The best place for me to read is in the dingy, awful, spiderweb-ridden storage room downstairs.
1: Really? Yeah. Just because there's.
0: There's no one's going to come bother me. Okay, actually, there's two places there, that room or in my car. In the garage. In the garage. Just chilling in your car. Yep. Because if I read in the living room, people are out there doing something. I try to tell myself, no, I can pay attention to my reading. I've been reading every single day for two months. My brain has been trained to read. But actually, if you research what the brain is actually doing when it's focusing on something is it's using mental energy and mental resources to inhibit...
1: External distractions. So it's more shutting out other things than it is Mm -hmm. turning on one thing.
0: Yeah, that's how attention works. Attention is an expenditure of mental resources to basically shove everything else out. So the fewer things there are in your environment, the less hard your brain has to work. So I put myself in my car. No one's going to bug me in my car. It's very quiet in my car. There's nothing else that I would rather be that I'm going to be doing in my car. If it's not moving, my computer's not there to mess with. I don't bring anything else. I do bring my phone because I'm listening to my study playlist on it, but I'm not getting my phone out to play with it. Or I go down in the awful spidery storage room because I don't want to spend much time either uh, no, there either. Read, read fast. <laughs> so I'm there to get my 25 pages read before done. before
1: the spiders get you.
0: Yeah, and I, I noticed that when I was reading Good Calories, Bad Calories, which was that huge 450 page ultra dense nutrition science book that was A chore to read like it wasn't a fun read enlightening in some ways but a chore nonetheless I would go down to that spider room because I needed to get to 25 pages I knew it was going to take me about an hour and I wanted as little distraction as possible and in fact when I go down there I would read standing up
1: sometimes pacing back and forth which did help sometimes all I can think about is that I'm going to call that the spider room now the spider room it's now the spider room (laughs) Uh, I mean, there are definitely combos down there. Yeah, well, that's definitely useful. Another thing that I do, one of my big problems is if I'm trying to do multiple productive things Mm -hmm. at once, I get analysis paralysis so fast. Oh, yeah. So fast. Yep. Because I I just look at my daily checklist. Hey, work on some college info geek stuff, work on some Spanish stuff, read. Mm -hmm. And then I wake up and I go, oh, what should I do now? And then I sit there for a half hour thinking, which one of these should I do? I could have done one or two of them probably, but I'm not doing them because I can't decide which. So my solution to that has been to give myself a default order. I do them in this order, unless some sort of event comes up that forces me to change. Okay. Because removing basically that choice preemptively allows me to get to work on one thing a lot more easily. Yeah. It's not a question anymore. There's no what's next. It's right there. Do that next. Have you ever heard of Hicks
0: Law? Yes. So for anyone listening to this who doesn't know, Hicks Law is an observation that the more choices there are for something to do, the longer it takes someone to make a single choice. Now, this law has most often been applied to things like user experience design. Like if you have a website and the homepage has a zillion links on it, then when they do user experience testing, when they basically watch people use a website, it takes them exponentially longer to pick one of those options. Whereas if it's easier, uh, if there's fewer options, then they're more apt to just choose one right away. Yeah. The only option mm-hmm. is to sign
1: up for my newsletter.
0: Yep. Sign up for my it's newsletter. the only option. There's going to be 10,000 pop-ups that are going to come up and make you, and I'm going to track you on Facebook, and I'm going to come to your house in the middle of the night and make you sign up for my newsletter. Yeah,
1: it's easy to make that choice if it's the only choice. You don't want to see my face in your window. Just I do. <laughs> Well, it's so like the second well, if floor. You do, I would be is, impressed
0: if you do. There's a second newsletter you should sign up for. Oh, that's the okay. I'm going to stalk you newsletter. All right. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me. There was a what fish could market. That possibly remind you. <laughs> there was a fish market. Not not the stalker thing. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> go on. There was a fish market that they had really high quality ingredients, but they were suffering, and they had like 50 choices of fish. And all these different rubs and sauces and marinades and stuff. And they brought in this consultant who got rid of all the 50 choices, got rid of all the different rubs and everything. And they reduced down to three types of fish. And each one was paired with a specific fish rub. So you didn't it was even like, like choose which rub you wanted nope, on your salmon. Like, you can have the salmon with the lemon rub, or you can have the trout with the bread crumbs or whatever. I don't remember the exact combinations. But it was three specific combos and sales skyrocketed. Why? Because for the most part, the average consumer is not looking for the exact specific fish and the exact specific rub they want because they don't know what they want. What they want is somebody who's knowledgeable to sell them something that's going to taste good. So three choices and the market basically saying, look, this fish paired with this rub is going to taste good where the experts listen to us. People bought it. That's beautiful. You can do this yourself because you have your planning time where you are planning what you're going to do later. And then you have what I like to call robot mode where you are no longer choosing what to do. You are acting upon the plans of your previous self. So like Martin said, you can create an order in which you'll do things. Now, I like your default order idea. The one maybe caveat that I would give to it is I've noticed that there are specific times of the day where I have more motivation or more energy. Chris calls it the biological prime time in Productivity Project. And I have to respect that when I'm choosing what to work on because if my default order is maybe, you know, do email first or something and it happens to be my biological prime time, it would actually be a waste of my time to start with email. I should start with the most creatively intensive project. Even if I don't wanna do it, I should start it on it because I know I want to use the best hours of the day to get the most important work done.
1: Yeah, so maybe when you set up an order, keep in mind, is there a pattern? Which of these, like when you wake up, are you really focused or are you kind of groggy and could only do something mindless first? Mm Kind of take into account what you're likely to do best. And then if you're really, really inspired for something and you can go ahead and override the order on a special day. that's why mine's a default order. Mm. I can change it if something really important comes up. But when I wake up and I'm going, I'm not sure, that means nothing important came up. Just do the order.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. Uh, the last thing I'll mention here is if you wanna build your attention muscle, meditation's a really good way to do it. And people have been asking me to do a meditation video. I may do one eventually. I'm not sure exactly how I wanna do it because I'm definitely not an expert on meditation. And in fact, I would say that I'm a weak meditator. because when I had a habit of meditating, it was for three minutes a day. You know, some people say, oh, just start with five minutes. You you don't gotta do 10 or 15 minutes like some people. Five was too much for me. I just did three. But meditation is not necessarily being a skinny yogi sitting on a mountainside with a thing on your head and your hands in a specific position and your legs crossed in full lotus position uh, on a Zafu though I know you do sit on this often. I do. Well, I, I meditated for like 40 minutes at one time.
1: Uh, <laughs> I am an expert. It's uh, no big deal. Okay,
0: so I'm going to say what I know about meditation and then I'll let you kind of add in because you are much more. i than me. From, You're basically uh, Street Fighter. Yeah, and I would be. Who would I be in Street Fighter? That's a good I use think of God this podcast. Zangief. <laughs> Let's just talk about who we would be in Street Fighter. I'm going with Zangief. All right. Oh, that was quick. <laughs> and all right? Who else is going to crush man's head like sparrow's egg between thighs? Anywho, so what I did for meditation is when I had it on my Habitica morning routine, I would sit on my floor in my room, I would set my phone timer for three minutes, and I would close my eyes, and I would just focus on my breath while trying to count to 10. And because at the time I was learning Japanese, I would count to 10 in Japanese, and my goal was to, keep my breathing under control and breathe slowly enough that I would take only 10 breaths in three minutes. And the most important part, I believe, is when I noticed my mind wandering to something else, thinking about what I'm gonna do during the day or how much a giraffe weighs, I would bring my attention back. So notice that my mind is wandering, notice that I have shifted my focus to something else and then gently bring it back to focusing on my breath. And when you do that, Chris talks about meditation in his book too, it's like a repetition in a workout. You're basically using your attention muscle. You're bringing it back to one specific thing that you have pre committed to focusing on. And doing that, even for three minutes a day, I noticed benefits in other areas of my life. I noticed that in general, I was able to focus on every one of my tasks with more attention. So that's basically what I know about meditation. Really simple way of doing it. But I'll let you take the wheel here because you do it a
1: lot more than I do. Well. First I want to say I'm not really an expert. I just meditate a lot. I don't know if that Way makes me you. an expert. <laughs> but I have I've never meditated like under a waterfall and connected with a greater being, you know? Well, here's That's, the thing. I haven't done that.
0: You enjoy meditating?
1: Yes. And I did it
0: specifically yeah, because you did it with a purpose I wanted mind. the benefit it of was a
1: tool greater intention and I don't like it. See, I I meditate for several reasons. Sometimes it's to kind of emotionally bring myself back to neutral, to calm myself, sometimes I'm meditating on an idea. Like I'm thinking about a really hard question or problem, Mm. and I want to think about it without any distraction. So that's what I focus on. And sometimes I want to focus on nothing, my breathing or some music. I, I listen to some shakuhachi, like Zen Buddhist meditation stuff. That's pretty cool.
0: Now, when you have music and you're meditating to music, are you sitting in a specific lotus position, or are, you like, or are you just laying on the ground listening to
1: music, like mindfully? My, my position changes, and I don't know that the position is the most important part of this. I usually sit half lotus on my Zafu, but okay. that's just because I am comfortable. I try to find a position in which I'm comfortable and don't have to exert a lot of effort to stay in what position I am. So I'm sitting up straight in a way that I don't have to try very hard to sit up straight. Because if I notice I'm shifting around a lot, I'm falling over, then I need to pick a different position because I can't focus on what I'm focusing on if I'm trying to focus on keeping my balance, if that's difficult.
0: Yeah. You know, i read somewhere on my friend. Oh, my friend Zach Sexton works for a blog called Asian Efficiency, and he had a post he wrote about meditation, which I can put in the show notes, um, and he named multiple different types of meditation. Which is like one was called, I think, Zen, which is like high difficulty. You're just focusing your concentration on one thing, like your breath or a candle or something like that, and then doing your best to not let any thoughts come into your mind. I guess that was my conception of meditation for a long time. But it sounds like you do it in many different ways. Yeah. Where it you're just trying to definitely like, depends on your
1: emotions or do something on what's going on mm-hmm. in my
0: life. So maybe what I don't like is Zen meditation, which is working out your attention muscle. It's difficult, which is why I don't like it. My brain wants to be you know, immersed in a ridiculous bath of tons of stimulation and things. And uh, Zen meditation denies it that because I'm only focusing on something very mundane. But when you said music, it did remind me, there was a night recently where I put on my headphones and I listened to one of my favorite songs of all time, which is Art of Life by X Japan. It is a half an hour long song. And I just laid on my floor with the lights off and listened to the whole thing while doing nothing else. And that was really
1: enjoyable. So I I guess I would kind of consider that meditative. Okay. If you're really focusing on it, how different is that from focusing on your breathing? It's just not your breathing. I guess that's true. Nothing but the intake of your ears. You're focusing on Mm -hmm. one sense and ignoring the rest.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Because when I do listen to music, usually it's in the car or it's while I'm working. It's totally Music's usually a background, right?
1: Mm -hmm. It's just passive.
0: But this was a much different experience because I was very, very intently listening to each instrument. I was like imagining being in the room, watching the drummer, watching the guitarist, everything. It was a very mindful experience. So that was a cool thing to do. And I would imagine maybe the benefits aren't as intense as focusing on your breath and doing something that's much more mundane because it's harder, but maybe even listening to music mindfully could help you increase yeah, your maybe. attention.
1: I once listened to all of the Mars Volta's discography. At the time, it was like five and a half hours. Straight, nothing else. I really? did that. Because I was writing my senior paper in high school on the Mars Volta, so I just did that. And that's... Wait,
0: you wrote a senior paper in high school about Mars
1: Volta? Yeah, and I got an <laughs> A.
0: It's uh, no big deal. My senior paper in my final advanced composition class we were allowed to write about basically whatever we wanted and I wrote an album review for this (laughs) really cringy really like emo album by a band called I am ghost which I still listen to I love that band and I also posted it online on this music review site because I was kind of a member of that at the time and I got an A on that too so looks like That's we're weird. both music review That's writers the in secret.
1: school. That's the secret to success. Write your senior paper on a cool album.
0: It's either got to be weird emo rock or like even weirder progressive yeah. space rock.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> but I would say I that Mark that experience Walter. was very meditative because you're focusing on that for how long? That's so so much more intense than what yeah. most people will focus on anything for. Even if you're Netflix binging, you're not really even focusing on that show for too long. You probably got your phone in your hand. And then halfway through, you're like, I'm going to get a snack. You can't even focus on the relaxing things. Dude, that's, that's something that really annoys me is when people turn in a movie or even like they're playing a
0: video game and then they have their phone out at the same time. Yeah. Like, like you're not how? even focusing
1: on the fun stuff. So how are you going to yeah. focus on the productive, difficult stuff?
0: I think that's, that's a big problem. Every time you split your attention, even when you're doing something fun, you're ingraining that pattern, you know, just like. Daniel Levitin, yeah, the dude who wrote The Organized Mind, multitasking creates that dopamine addiction feedback loop. And when you're multitasking, when you're having fun, you're just continually strengthening that pattern. So
1: you're robbing yourself of productivity potential, but also just the potential to enjoy yourself more Mm -hmm. fully. So maybe in addition to maybe adding
0: a small amount of meditation to your daily routine if you want to, you could just try to mindfully single task when you're having fun. So if you're playing a video game or you're watching a movie, tell yourself, I am only going to experience this one thing while I'm doing it. I'm not gonna be on my phone on Twitter while I'm watching this movie. I'm not gonna be playing a game on my DS while also playing a game on my, <laughs> my Wii U or whatever. And I think if you can mindfully have fun in one area, that is going to somewhat translate to your ability to work on just one task when you're working. Not gonna be a silver bullet, I really don't want to overstate the potential usefulness of doing it in this way because I think the most benefit is going to come from actually working on one task, doing Pomodoro sessions, and forcing yourself not to get distracted while you're working. And I think you'd probably agree. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Like the trick is to be mindfully doing something, whether it's work, play, meditation, just yeah, you need to make the decision and, Mm -hmm. and do it. It's going to be difficult, but it'll pay off. Mm hmm.
0: And I really think writing down what distracts you on a
1: piece yeah, of paper. Yeah, that's, is that's really wonderful. That's kind of similar to that test taking thing where you write down your stress. You're pulling that idea out of your brain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we have talked about a lot of things just for that one question. <laughs> we
0: recommended many things. Yep. And that kind of leads us in perfectly to this next question because we had oh, another student ask. Oh, that is good how do I effectively intake and use so much self-help information that comes from everywhere? Just everyone yeah. is telling me there's all these gurus, all these successful people That's saying, such do such this, a good do question. this, do that. that is a, yeah, it's a fantastic question. And I remember asking myself this same question because when I was starting College in Geek, I had an RSS feed full of like 20 or 30 productivity blogs. And the thing about a productivity blog and even a blog like mine, which is a productivity blog in disguise, is we have a publishing schedule. Every single week, we're like, man, what's something helpful that I could share with people? And the thing is, just because productivity guru X shared this thing doesn't mean it's right for you right now. Yeah, you don't have to be like, okay, you've got one week to master this because next <laughs> week I'm going
1: to give you something new.
0: Yeah. I actually stopped listening to business podcasts. I used to listen to things like the Smart Passive Income podcast that's run by Pat Flynn, things like the Fizzle Show and the Sean West podcast and all these, you know, online business podcasts. And they're all talking about ways you can improve your blog or network better or get more email subscribers, all this stuff that I care about because I'm running an internet business. And I'd be in the car just driving somewhere and then I listen to the next episode and I'm like, oh my God, I need to drop literally everything I'm doing right now and go do that thing. I really need to do a content audit on my blog. Martin, we need to take like six weeks to systematically go through every blog post on the site, change the ones that need changing, delete the ones that need deleting. And there's a project for that in Asana sitting right there. Yep. It's probably something we should do,
1: but... But not at the expense of what we're currently doing. Exactly.
0: I have to trust that my previous self has committed to some, some productive things in the past. And those aren't immediately accomplished. They take time. Anything takes time. So you simply can't integrate every single piece of self-help and productivity advice you get. It's not going to work. The ironic thing is like, this is going to be a piece of advice. So yep. throw yep. it on
1: the stack. <laughs> yeah. You got to pick what's most important Toss to it you on the heap. right now. What is likely to either mm-hmm. get you good results fast, or maybe what is more important to you that'll take longer to focus on. But you can't do it all at once. Yeah. You just, you can't. There are so many things that I would love to just magically have as a habit, Mm -hmm. but they're not more important than the ones I'm building now. so So I can't do
0: them. I think we talked about this in the last episode where we talked about dealing with stress and the way we do it is we try to pinpoint the exact element of the problem that is causing the stress. And then when we see, what can we do about that? Whatever we can't do, whatever is outside of our locus of control, we just deal with by accepting. But everything else, everything we can control, we start to develop specific plans of action to take care of that problem. So if you can identify either a problem in your life right now, or some area where you just like to improve or something that's gonna help you get to a goal, pick the one that seems either most interesting or most essential, and then start to form very small habits, just tiny little habits if you want like a super specific plan of action here, the thing that I'm doing at the moment is I have started using Habitica again for a long time, maybe like six months to a year. I stopped using it regularly. And just because I fell off my habits, because I had like 20 habits at one point. And there's your problem. You know, I, I was actually managing 20 habits pretty well, but I think when the YouTube channel started doing really well, I was ultra dedicated to getting a video out every week and then the habits kind of fell off the tracks and I just stopped using it, you know, because I'm the kind of person where when my system gets messed up, I get kind of demotivated to keep using it. The streak is very important to me. Oh, yeah. So that's why I did that. You need to do a reset podcast. I think that was episode 87 because sometimes everything just gets so messed up. You need to sit down and reset it all back to zero. And that's what I did with Habitica. So I noticed I wasn't reading enough, I noticed that I wasn't drinking enough water, and I noticed that I wasn't getting to bed on time. Those were like a few things that I thought were really negatively affecting my progress and productivity. So instead of listening to every productivity guru out there, instead of like reading every single tip in the productivity project or any other book that I'm reading, I've just decided my main focus is right now, I'm gonna get my 25 pages of reading done every day. I have a habit in Habitica that says start my wind down ritual 45 minutes before bed. So I know what time I need to go to bed every single night, 45 minutes before then I got to start the wind down ritual and then I'm getting my hydration done. And one other thing I'm doing, I forgot about, I'm also writing for 10 minutes a day because I noticed with the videos only coming out once a week, I was only writing one script a week. and. I think that writing is probably the most essential skill that I need to be practicing as a content creator. The editing is important. The podcasting is important. All that stuff's important. But at the end of the day, it's getting ideas out of my head and into a system and just the practice of that that is most important for me to do. So every single weekday, I'm writing for 10 minutes. I basically just pluck a question out of the Reddit or just something out of my head that I remember somebody asking me I make a new note in Evernote, write the question, and then spend 10 minutes writing an answer. And this is complete free form. It's not in any state ready for publishing, but it's there now. The ideas are on, not paper, but digital paper, and now they can be fleshed out. Now they're there to be manipulated.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah. So you can work on, you're working on multiple things at once, but you've picked a few things. Mm-hmm. A few things that are the most important, and you're building small habits out of them, that you can actually juggle at once. Yeah. Rather than saying like, okay, okay, I'm gonna read ten books this week because that's awesome. But also also I need to be working out a lot more. Maybe you could do one of those. Yeah. But you you're gonna need to pick habits that are small and manageable, especially if you're doing multiple things, because once they become a super ingrained habit, you no longer need a system. It's just something you do. Yeah, and then exactly. You can build you can Do the next thing. Then you can add something else because you no longer have to tell yourself to drink enough water. You just do it. Mm
0: -hmm. I think Nick Winter put it really well in The Motivation Hacker when he was talking about that success spiral concept. And he's basically saying, you can't start with a zillion things. Your, Your brain is not ready for it. You have not proved to yourself yet that you can handle all those things. And even if in the past you were handling all those things and you fell off, you're not ready to jump right back on that train. You have to start at the bottom and then let the success sort of spiral up and up and up until you trust yourself to add more and more things. So I took that to heart. I had 20 habits on my list in the past, and now I have far fewer because I knew I couldn't trust myself with 20 again. I fell off the train. So I have to start back down at ground zero until I can prove to myself this is manageable. I'm counting right now. Looks like I have 12 habits right now, but some of them are really easy. like take my vitamin, and floss. You know, those are, check my calendar, super easy things to do, but I noticed that, okay, some nights I feel like it's too late, and so I skip flossing. Well, even though I flossed every single day for more than two years without needing a Habitica entry for it, if I'm not doing it right now, it needs to be in the system. Once I trust the habit is once again crystallized and is semi-permanent, then I can take it out of the system. I don't have to micromanage myself anymore. But I can't get, too ahead of myself on that so hopefully that provides a good answer i mean this is really a tough question to deal with because i know we have so many problems we want to solve and we have so many people giving us advice it's difficult to deal with
1: and like the truth is you just can't solve everything Mm -hmm. there are going to be problems that you're like this could be better yep always (laughs) i still have problems sorry sorry about that oh yeah man you got to learn how to pick your battles
0: you get a lot of perspective when when you look up to like a certain level in whatever field you're in and it can seem like, oh, people there have it so easy. They're already established. Everything is great. hunky dory. They're perfectly secure. And then you get there. One day you, you wake up and realize like, I am there. The problems are not gone. You know, if anything, it's just that the pressure is higher now. Yeah. <laughs> so never expect that all the problems will go away. And in fact, embrace that. Yeah, some problems aren't important. Just Mm -hmm. leave them. So our final problem that someone needs to deal with, question here. My segues are always very cheesy. Their question is, how do I deal with intimidating teachers? Sometimes I deal with teachers that say things like, not everyone's gonna pass this course. Or if you don't know how to ask an intelligent question, then don't ask one. This test is gonna be 10 times harder than the last one. Or, now this one seems really bad. I'm busy, I don't have time when asked for help on something. So basically, how do you deal with teachers who are either intimidating or just not interested in you or just bad?
1: Yeah. It's a big question. Yeah, it's a tough one because that it's probably going to happen to most students. Mhm. But first, those first few things that this teacher's been saying, not everybody's going to pass, it's going to be really hard. It could be Not that they're just really mean, but that they're trying to instill some sort of motivation and independence, military style. Maybe that's their style of imparting things.
0: Well, these questions sound like something that would be asked, no questions, these things sound like
1: something that would be said in a weed out course. Yeah. The people who are willing to work hard are going to get through because they only want the people who are willing to work hard to get through. They're like trying to intimidate you to prove that you're willing to deal with that level of stress.
0: And I got to sympathize with professors on this point in some cases because they are dealing with new, Well, it's a lot of thunder. They're dealing with new students every semester and they know that a certain percentage of these students just don't care. They're trying to pass the class for an easy A or it's just a requirement, you know, and they're going to try their best to help everyone, but they really want to instill that motivation in the percentage of students who are going to care. So- some professors use some tough love like that and i got to say not everyone is going to pass this course is a pretty tame thing
1: yeah it's also you know? just a fact yeah it's it's a fact some some professors are just going to be blunt it's stressful that's but that's just a blunt fact that's like that's like when i say you're always going to have problems mm-hmm. sorry it's kind of the same thing yeah it's just it's a little more scary because you have grades on the line
0: in fact i kind of want to say this now because i think it needs to be said I believe that most students are aware of this and can deal with it, but for the few that may not currently be prepared for it, a college professor is not your mom and they are not obligated to be super nice to you. It would be nice if they could be professional and courteous, but they're not always gonna be and they're not always going to be 100% accommodating. They're not always gonna have the same beliefs as you. They're not always gonna have the same internal beliefs about how People should be motivated about how they should be punished when they do something wrong and reprimanded. And that's OK.
1: Yeah. Well, you're not going to be able to expect that after mm-hmm. college either. You're going to have bosses you don't like and they're going to be in a position of authority. So your choice yep. is either learn to navigate these adult social waters where mm-hmm. you don't agree with everything or quit that job. Find a new one. Yeah, exactly. You can't just bend everyone to your will, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the principle here is to realize your teacher is in a position of authority over you. That position demands respect. Now, hopefully they are caring, hopefully they're courteous and professional and have your best interests at heart. Sometimes that might not seem the case. And in some instances, there are professors who are inept teachers or there are professors who are frankly more concerned with their research than the teaching that they're obligated to do. It happens. I personally believe the majority of professors out there do care about their students. They are passionate about teaching. So for the most part, I don't think you're going to run into these problems. But every once in a while, you do have that problem. And it's just how reality works. You're going to have to deal with it. The nice thing is that your professor is not the only source of information in your class. Most classes have TAs that you can talk to. There are often tutoring services on campus. You might have to pay for them. Sometimes they may be free. There are friends who have taken the class that you can study with. You may be able to get previous exams. And honestly, in a lot of classes, I have just used the textbooks and the lecture slides, even if they're just teaching straight off of slides that the publisher gave them. Those are often enough to get to the class. So maybe you're not buddy-buddy with your professor, but you can utilize all the other resources besides the professor to do well in the class, and then just kind of put it behind you when it's over. So I think that's a pretty good answer here. And we are over the hour mark, so I think that's probably where we're gonna start wrapping up unless you have anything else you'd like to add Uh to no. question. No, I think
1: that's pretty good. Cool.
0: Well, to the people who made those threads on Reddit, uh, for four out of the five questions, thank you for your questions. I'll try to link to those threads in the show notes for this episode in case you wanna see other answers by other students. And speaking of show notes, you can find those over at CIGpodcast.com. Check out the episode 112 link on the page if you want to find all those links and links to all the resources that I mentioned, like Chris Bailey's book, The Productivity Project, Hicks Law, all the music we talked about. That stuff will be on that page. And also, the last thing you'll find on that page is a link to rate and review the podcast in iTunes if you would like to support the show. That is a great way to do it. Ratings and reviews and subscriptions if you haven't subscribed all those things kind of bump the show up the rankings and show it to more people, make it more visible, and it makes me a very happy camper. So if you do that, massive appreciation out to you. But thanks for listening either way, and we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.